everybody has a story. I'm going to say a name, and I want to see if anybody here knows that name. Tell me who this is. Do you know who Bob Phillips is? Does that name ring a bell? Bob Phillips. Anybody? Does it ring a bell? You know who it is? If you hear, uh, if I were to stretch that out to Texas Country Reporter, now is it ringing a bell, Bob Phillips? Some of you know this, this man. He's been on TV for almost probably over 30 years now, sharing the stories of Texas. Bob Phillips, you know, you know, the, you know the guy now? Uh, maybe some of you do. So Bob Phillips uh, was uh, a reporter, and he was doing the typical reporter stories. They were always of the bad news. And he decided as a reporter, he wanted to do the good news, the good stories, the good feel stories. So on his website, they have, they have this uh, saying, it says, hop in and travel with Bob and Kelly Phillips on a road trip to discover the uplifting stories and must-see destinations in the Lone Star State. On their weekly television program, you'll meet oddball collectors, thought-provoking artists, and everyday heroes making the world a better place. And of course, we'll stop at every Backroads Cafe and Texas landmark along the way because for us, the journey is the destination. So they do these feel-good stories all over the state of Texas, small towns, big towns, uh, strange collectors who have oddball collectors, uh, artisans, people who just have a, a story. In fact, it also says this. It says, if you haven't watched our show, well, it's just stories about people you probably never heard of before and possibly will never hear of again. Ordinary people who often are doing extraordinary things with their lives. See, we all have a story. Every single one of us, we have a story. If, if you are in Christ, you have an amazing story. In fact, uh, the verses that were read uh, during the singing in Romans 1, 16 through 17, there's a little portion in there that talks about faith for faith, or faith from faith, or faith to faith. And if you think of history and, and of the church, and from the, the time of Christ, from, from his death, his burial, his resurrection, he has been changing lives from one person to the next person to the next person because one person shares their story to another person and faith is transferred from one person to the next. And from that time until now, the gospel has been spread from one heart to the next because people share their stories of what God has done in their lives. And so we all have an amazing story. Whether you came to faith when you were four or five years old, or whether you just trusted Jesus last week as an adult or somewhere in between, your story is an amazing story of God's grace and redemption that he provides for you and for us. So we all have a story. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 today, so if you have your Bible open, it sounds like all of you already knew that. Open your Bible or turn on your phone to Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to hear an amazing story given from the perspective of King Nebuchadnezzar. And his story has all the elements of a, of a testimony of his, of his life before God changed him, and then a story of 
what God did to get his attention and to change him, and then what was life like once he submitted to the Most High God. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be taking a look at Nebuchadnezzar's story and then considering our own story. So Nebuchadnezzar's story before submitting to God. I want us to go to Daniel 4, verse 4, and it says this. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Read it one more time. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So what was Nebuchadnezzar like before God got a hold of him? Because we're going to be getting into that in a little bit about the amazing, interesting thing that God did to Nebuchadnezzar. But what was, what was happening with Nebuchadnezzar? He was the king of Babylon. Y'all, y'all probably got all this background already in previous sermons. So he was, a, he was the king of Babylon. His city was great. The city of Babylon was a majestic city. Uh, it, is, it is said to have, been, uh, have a, a wall that is about a 40-mile circumference wall. These walls were anywhere between 30 and 100 feet tall and even dug down into the earth, perhaps another 30 feet. It is said that these, uh, among these walls were towers in between 100 and 250. You know, all the scholars, they can't get together on these numbers, so I'm just giving, t- giving them all to you. And so this was a, an incredible, majestic wall. It was said that it was wide enough to have chariot races on top of the wall. So it was just an incredible uh, sight to see. And that's just the wall, let alone the, the palace, uh, all the incredible temples, the hanging gardens, which many of you have also heard of those. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was just an incredible builder, and his kingdom was beautiful. It looked good, and on top of that, he was at peace. There was nobody challenging him for the throne. There was nobody at their borders at this time, and his kingdom stretched from modern-day Iraq to Iran over to Syria and down across to uh, Lebanon and modern-day Israel and a little further south. So he had a vast kingdom, it was protected, he was safe, he was at peace, and he was prosperous. And according to Nebuchadnezzar, it was all due to himself. He was the great king, and he was responsible for this incredible greatness of Babylon. So, God reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream here in chapter 4, and this dream makes him afraid. It, it troubles him. It alarms him, the, the scripture says. And this, he, he has this dream, and he calls for interpretation so you can see how he would work. He calls his magicians. He calls his best interpreters. He calls his brightest minds to try to see if anybody can interpret this dream, and of course, they cannot. So he gets to Daniel, whom he's already had interpreted a dream already once. So he calls Daniel says, Daniel, I, I know that you, you have the spirit of the gods in you, and you can interpret this dream. And Daniel says, yes, I can interpret this dream this dream, uh, I can interpret this dream for you. And so Nebuchadnezzar tells him about his dream. He says there was this, this tree. It was a huge tree, and it, it rose all the way to the, the heavens. It was that big, and that everybody, everybody on earth could see this, this tree. 
And it could provide shade for, for all the animals in the world. It could provide fruit enough for everybody to eat and have sustenance. It was beautiful. But then a watcher comes. A watcher comes from the heavens and comes down to the tree and chops and lops and strips and scatters this tree, leaving the stump. It says, it kind of shifts in this dream, and it says at this point that, that this discipline will last for seven periods of time. We'll call it seven years where this person who's experiencing this demise will experience this for seven years before being restored. Daniel really doesn't want to interpret the dream because he's afraid of what it says. He's fearful of what the king might do. Nebuchadnezzar gives him comfort and says, just tell me, son, just tell me. So in verse 20 of chapter 4, Daniel says this. He says, so he says, the, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, this tree whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It's you, O king, because you've grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And down in verse 24, it says this. It says, this is the interpretation, O king, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you, you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you for the time that you know that heaven rules. So God basically is telling Nebuchadnezzar, you do believe that you are almighty and you do have a great kingdom. However, you, because you cannot recognize that I am the Lord and that I have set you in place and that I'm the one who made you to be able to rule this people, you will be humbled and you will be humbled by me and you will be set outside. You will be made to look like a fool. You will be like an ox eating the grass. You'll stay outside. You'll be rained on. You'll be dewed on until you realize and submit to me as the most high God. Nebuchadnezzar, that's your fate. Daniel goes on to say that uh, he, he begs Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He begs him to turn from his ways, to, to turn from his arrogance and his evil choices, to make righteous choices. But Nebuchadnezzar ignores these warnings and he continues on his path of pride and his, his arrogance and in his comfort. And in verse 29, the scripture says this. Verse 29, the scripture says, at the end of 12 months, at the end of 12 months, 
God was patient. God gave him a year to respond to this warning at the end of 12 months. But at the end of God's patience, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and he said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words, while the words were in his mouth. While the words were in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Before the words can even leave his mouth, God enacts his discipline upon Nebuchadnezzar. God's discipline was delayed. He was patient, but once it began, it was swift. God's discipline was swift. God disciplined Nebuchadnezzar so that Nebuchadnezzar would not be driven mad, but so that Nebuchadnezzar would be driven to God. The scripture goes on to say in verse 32, and you'll be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the fields and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. I'll say what I said again. God did not drive Nebuchadnezzar mad simply for the sake of it. But he drove Nebuchadnezzar mad so that Nebuchadnezzar would be driven toward God himself. You know, we see ultimately after seven years that Nebuchadnezzar does submit. Here's how it reads in verse 34. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him. God positioned Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar was out of place. And God took a moment to position Nebuchadnezzar into his proper place before him as a man. God puts Nebuchadnezzar in his proper place in relation to him. And God does what God will do, and Nebuchadnezzar recognizes this. So despite all his earthly greatness, Nebuchadnezzar is nothing. And he finally gets it. It took seven years, but he finally gets it. And Nebuchadnezzar's life changed after he experienced God. So now Nebuchadnezzar has changed and he recognizes God as the most high. And so now that he knows God and he knows God is God and he knows that he is not, what happens? In verse 36, it says, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is 
able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar has a story of restoration. Nebuchadnezzar has a story of redemption. God did not have to restore him in the way that he did, but God chose to. God chose to give his kingdom back to him. God chose to even add more to his kingdom at that time. But had Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and, he, and, and in that he recognized God as God and that he was not, God did not have to restore to Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom, but he chose to do so. So here... Nebuchadnezzar has a great story of what he was like before God. He was, he was an arrogant fool. He believed himself to be the most important person on the earth, the most majestic person on the earth. Then God showed him himself and put Nebuchadnezzar in his place. He embraced the humility and began to praise and honor God. And he recognized that God had given him everything and everything was due to God. You know, I want to ask a question. This verse 4 has a ton of stuff in it. I mean, this chapter 4. And so I'm going to ask you a question, and I do want you to answer. What are some things, before we move on, what are some things that you learn or that we learn about God in this chapter of Daniel? So you can answer out loud. Don't be afraid to shout you don't have to stand or raise your hand or anything. Just, just speak. What do we learn about God from this passage? God is patient. Very good. God is in control. Aren't you glad God is patient? Oh, my goodness. But we see here there was a moment where his patient ran out, too. Aren't you so glad God is in control? It means we don't have to be. We can just stop trying. We don't have to be in control. He is. What else did you learn about God? That we can worship him, absolutely. We can praise him and extol him and lift him up high because that's where he deserves to be in our hearts. Absolutely, best answer. I didn't hear that one, what? What else do we learn about God? Yeah. Absolutely. God desires to reveal himself to us. He doesn't give up on us. If you're watching... He's showing himself. In fact, this wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's first encounter with God, right? I mean, he, he, saw, he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He saw the activity of God already. He, he, Daniel already interpreted one other dream for him. God was revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. This was a process. This wasn't the first time that Nebuchadnezzar dealt with God. So he, God was continually revealing himself. What else did you learn about God? in this passage. What? God is merciful. Yeah, merciful. He gave, him, he gave him a chance. First of all, he gave him a chance to repent. When he didn't do that, God did what God does, and then God still restored him. He was merciful. Anything else about God in this passage? Yeah. God's not going to stop pursuing you. He's not going to stop pursuing you. He loves you. He wants you. He desires to have the relationship with you, and he will not let you go. He will chase you down. He's not going to stop. Anything else? He disciplines us. He disciplines us. It's not fun. I'm glad I've never been made to eat grass like an ox and to stay out in the rain and the dew. 
that have been disciplined. A good father is going to discipline his child. So he's going to discipline you. Some of you, I'm sure, have experienced that in the past. In fact, if you're a believer, you will have experienced it. Anything else you learn about God? He does. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to know us. He wants to affect our lives. God is sovereign. God will not be mocked. These these things I wrote, some of them are echoing what you already said. God is patient. God is also swift. God is gracious. God is everlasting. God will place in rule who he wishes. God works through dreams. God speaks through people. God forgives. God restores. These are all things that I learned about God from this passage. Any other word before we move on? So as we think about who God is, we realize that we have a story. We all have a story. Our stories are worth sharing. Uh, In Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples. King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't want to go too fast here. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Wow, right there. Could that not be a theme verse for our lives? Could this not be something for our lives? Man, to all peoples, to all nations, to everyone, to all languages that dwell on the earth, it seems good to me to show them what God has done for me. Shouldn't that be our own heartbeats? That we recognize what God has done for us and we want to tell people about it? We all have a story. We all have a story. Our stories are worth sharing. What is your story? What is your story? You know, the old school testimony, that's what I'm going for here. What were you like before Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And now that you know Jesus, how's your life different? The Bible shares some words. What was I like before Jesus? Words from the Bible that describe someone who's not in Christ. Ungodly, unrighteous, blind, truthless, foolish, lustful, impure, dishonoring, deceived, shameless, greedy, confused, evil, covetous, full of malice. There's more words that describe someone not in Christ. They're envious, murderers, deceitful, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, haughty, boastful, prideful, disobedient, faithless, heartless, ruthless, judgmental. Spiritually dead, following the world, selfish, separated from God, and hopeless. Those are all words straight from Scripture that describe somebody who does not know Jesus. And those words described every single one of us in here before we knew him, before we had a relationship with him. Whether we were three years old, four years old, five years old, 18 years old, 24 years old, however we're, however old we were before we knew Jesus, those words described us. How did I meet Jesus? That's the next part of your story. How did you meet Jesus? Here are words from the Bible that describe salvation. You made a child of God, a friend of God, reconciled, forgiven, new creation, transformed, saved, found, atoned, justified, sanctified, made holy, made righteous, brought near to Jesus, dwelling place for God, spirit-filled, heirs of God's kingdom, redeemed, remade, restored, renewed. Man, 
Those are incredible words that describe you now that you know Jesus. He has taken you from what you once were, and, and, and in that process of salvation, he made you into these types of words. And what am I like now that I know Jesus? Here are some words from the Bible that describe someone who is in Christ. A speaker of truth, encourager, full of love, full of joy, full of peace, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled, selfless, godly, righteous, wise, pure, honoring, giving, clear-minded, good, joyful, humble, honest, lover of God, lover of people, obedient, forgiving, alive in Christ, follower of Jesus, in Christ, full of hope, compelled by love. Those are also incredible words that describe you now that you know Jesus. Every day when you walk with him, these are the types of words that should describe your life and who you are in Jesus. I mean, I know that we're not all perfect, and I know that we all struggle with sin, and we all have the daily battles where we have to seek God on our face and, and recognize that he has embraced us and forgiven us and has restored us and made us new, and we have to grow closer to him. However, these words in general are going to describe who you are in Jesus and what God has made you to be. Nebuchadnezzar, he was arrogant and God changed him and then he recognized God is the giver of everything. For me, I have lots of, I'll call them 15 second testimonies. You have a 15 second testimony that you can share. In fact, I'm gonna ask you to share it in just a little bit with anybody in this room. Um, so start getting ready. Um, for me, before I knew Jesus, I was shy and afraid, and then I met Jesus, and I'm still shy, <laughs> but I'm brave. I mean, I'm speaking to you guys, uh, and you terrify me, <laughs> but I'm here, and I'm speaking to you. Another 15-second testimony, uh, I, I was a regular teenage boy that chased things that teenage boys do. And then at the age of 16, God changed my life. I met him and I gave my, I gave my life over to him. And while I still struggled with things that 16-year-old boys do, I began to understand what it means to chase after God instead. And slowly over time, God began to replace those things that I had chased prior. Um, Another 15-second testimony might be, you know, before I met Jesus, I was a smart boy, good in school, and my life was defined by my academics. And then I met Jesus, and he changed me and gave me a different perspective on life. And now I still wanted to do well in school, but I realized that that wasn't what defined me. Being a child of God is what defines me me. And so those are examples of 15-second testimonies that, that all of us can have. So it is practice time for you, all right? So I, I, don't know, I don't know you well enough to know if this is out of your comfort zone or not. And so I apologize if it is, but if you're going to be sharing your story with anybody, it, you got, this is where you can trust the most, right, is among your people. So before I met Jesus, Find a word or two or concept that describes you. That's a part of your 15-second testimony. 
Then the middle part, your 15-second testimony, about what age did you come to faith or who was a person that was instrumental in leading you to faith and that you gave your life to Jesus? And then the, second, the last part of your testimony is going to kind of be the opposite or how you were changed from that first thing. And that's your 15-second testimony. It's something you can give probably with people you know and love and trust the most, people that you're trying to reach, those, those people that your, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you know. You're not going to say this kind of thing to a stranger and it make a lot of sense. This is just how you open up a conversation. When we share what God has done in our lives, he is honored and, and blessed and, and pleased. Because, because our stories are ultimately his story. It's his story. It's what he's doing among mankind. It's what he's doing on this earth. But let me ask you this. Who needs, who needs to hear your story? Who needs to hear your story? Think about it. I'm asking you to think about somebody specific in your life. Who is one person right now who most likely needs to be the person that hears your story? Renewal Church has a great mission statement. Renewal Church exists so that people will be made new in Jesus, grow in Jesus, and be released into the world for Jesus. I love all three segments of that. Released into the world is the one I want to focus on. Released into the world. That makes a lot of sense. But let's break it down. What about not released into the world? Renewal churches are released into the world, but you as a member, you're released into your world you are released to a very specific place, whether it's your work or your family or your neighborhood or some other place. You are uniquely gifted and positioned to share your story with somebody that you know, and God wants you to share that with them. It may not be this week. It may be by the end of the year, it may be next year, but I encourage you, if, if, if God is putting to you a, a face, a name, there's somebody, yes, I, I know, just begin praying for that person. Pray for them, pray for them, pray for them every day, pray for them, and then begin praying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it? And God will open the door for the right moment for you to open up about your story, about your life, about who you are, about what Christ has done for you, and what he can do for them.